All right. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, we had some technical difficulties on Saturday nights, but we felt like this sermon was important for you to hear. So I'm just going to kind of teach back through my notes, and uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, Ephesians chapter six. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're starting a new teaching series called "The Armor of God: Wake Up to the War." Now, this has been a great year for us so far as individuals, as families, uh, as a church family. Seems like God's really been speaking to us. He's been moving on our hearts in ways that are fresh and empowering and uh, inspiring. And there's this tangible momentum that's building in our lives. There's a lot of us that really are moving forward in our faith because we're learning that there's power in fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. But let me just jump right in by saying that every step forward that we take in the direction of living a life worthy of Jesus Christ is met with a strategic effort to push us back, to push us back to our old self, to push us back to our old way of thinking, our old life. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you this sermon in a sentence. The closer you get to God, the bigger target you become. Let me say that again. The closer you get to God, the bigger target you become. When you look at Ephesians 6, you have to remember that he's following up this challenge to the family. Uh, in fact, he starts out chapter 5 by challenging everyone to be imitators of God, to walk in love. So look what he says here in verse 10 and 11, 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, I want to stop and just mention that we've made some bookmarks for everyone for this teaching series. For one, we want to encourage you to read your Bibles. <laughs> You've got to be reading your Bibles. But another thing is we want everyone to memorize this verse, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. And uh, I'm even going to help you memorize it. Okay, I made up this little rap for my sons years ago to help them memorize it. And we're all going to learn it. We're all going to practice it every week of this series so that by the end of this teaching series... We all have it memorized. And it just goes like this. you got to have a little beat to it. It just says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. All right, so there it is. You can listen to it every week, listen to the podcast. You can even move, get jiggy with it as you're rapping it, whatever. Um, but I want you to notice what, what Paul says. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, Paul had been walking with the Lord long enough to know that our default way of doing things is in our own strength. That man's first inclination is to just muscle through stuff. In fact, he told the Corinthian church the same thing. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, on our best day, we're not equipped to fight the battles that we need to face. That's why I chose this, this tagline, wake up to the war. And it's a twofold challenge. One, wake up to the war. It's like we've got to open our eyes to the greater reality of what's going on around us. We complain about the symptoms, but we ignore the disease. We nitpick about prayer being taken out of school. We nitpick about gay marriage being made legal and abortion. And I agree that this stuff is absolutely ridiculous. 
But you see people who take these things on as like a political war or even a personal war. But it's not a war that's being waged on earth. It's really a war that's being waged in the heavenlies. It's a spiritual battle. That's why Paul says in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And like it or not, believe it or not, we wake up to that war every day against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of uh, wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's really the second part of this challenge. We've got to wake up to that war every day. In other words, be prepared to face the day in the strength of His might, to put on the full armor of God so that we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The full armor of God. Every piece is important because each piece of armor deals with the ways that the enemy of God comes against those who belong to God. Now we're going to spend one week per piece of armor starting next week. What I want to do right now is I want to answer three questions that will help us to understand why we are targets. Who is our enemy? Why is he ticked? And what do I do? Now most people, I would say even unbelievers, know who the enemy of God is. It's Satan. So here in Ephesians 6, verse 11, Paul calls him the devil. And the first time we see the devil is in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3, verse 1 says that the serpent was more crafty, or he was more tricky, than any beast of the field. Now this is obviously not talking about copperheads and rattlesnakes. And I mean, We know the story. This serpent tricked Adam and Eve into disobeying God. We know that this serpent is Satan. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it says that the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, some versions say that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. So right there we see both of those names, the devil and Satan. It says, who deceives the whole world, who was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I don't know how your mind works, but when I read a verse like this, I think there's a story here. And so I thought we can fill in the blanks a little bit. If you turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, and we don't have time to read this whole, uh, this whole chapter, but when you look at verses 1 through 10, you can see pretty clearly that God is addressing the man, the king of Tyre. And, and the king of Tyre had his mind set on being rich and famous, and he was really using his God-given abilities to make a name for himself. And so you can see that. You can see God is addressing the man. But when you get to verse 11, something changes. Let's read what it says. In verse 11, it says, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And see, already we see, okay, what now? The king of Tyre was in Eden, the garden of God? And then it goes on to say, every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, uh, the jasper, the lapis lazuli. Um, I love saying that, the lapis lazuli. Um, the turquoise and the emerald uh, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. They were prepared. Verse 14 says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Now that's a clue too that something changes. Um, he says, I placed you there and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness 
was found in you. Again, something changes. And, and what changes is that Ezekiel went from speaking to the man, again, the king of Tyre, to speaking to the spirit behind the man, just like Jesus did in Matthew 16, when he looked Peter square in the eyes and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on your own interest. And obviously Jesus wasn't saying that Peter was Satan, but he was speaking to the spirit behind the man. And then here, God, through Ezekiel, was talking to Satan and, and kind of reminding him of his failure. And this is one of the places where you gather clues as to why Satan is God's enemy. And when you study this out, you realize that Satan was not always a serpent. He was once a servant. Let me, let me say that again. Satan was not always a serpent. He was once a servant. I believe that Satan at one time was heaven's worship leader. That his original job, what he was created for, was to direct all worship to God. And, and I'll show you why. If, if you look at Isaiah 14, it starts the same way Ezekiel 28 does, except for here, Isaiah is addressing the king of Babylon. But then all of a sudden, he switches, a, he switches gears, just like Ezekiel did, and he addresses the spirit behind the man. And in verse 12, he says, How you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the dawn. Again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there are a couple of things in this verse that, that stand out. One, anytime you hear the phrase, you have fallen from heaven, it makes you think of Satan because we know that Satan fell from heaven. It talks about that in Ezekiel 28, where we were just at, uh, Job chapter 1, 1 Kings chapter 22, Zechariah 3, Revelations 20, several places in the Bible talks about how Satan has fallen from heaven. Another thing is that this is, this is the only time you see this Latin word uh, in Lucifer, which means light bearer. It's the only time you see it in the Bible. Most modern translations don't even use it. Uh, the King James's Bible translators had brought it over from the old Latin Vulgate when they were making their translation. The actual Hebrew word is halel, H-E-Y-L-E-L. -E and it's the only time you see this word as well. I, I mean, this is the only time you see this word in the Bible where it gives Satan's name, and it's Halel. It's not Lucifer, it's Halel, the Hebrew word, and it means shining one. Lucifer means light bearer, and Halel means shining one, and that's not quite the same thing. It's very close, though, um, but Halel comes from the word Halal, and that word means to be clear. It means to be, uh, to be brilliant. It means to make a show of. Uh, it means to boast in or to boast of. It means to glory in. It means to rejoice. A lot of times it was used of a clear, sharp tone or sound, and, and that'll be important here in a minute. Um, but you see this word halal all over the Old Testament especially. Um, the Psalm, Psalm 34 is a great example. Psalm 34.2 says, My soul will make its boast, or its halal, in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Anyway, just by his Hebrew name, it seems that Satan was once heaven's worship leader. That Satan was originally created to boast of God. Another thing really quick is that when you look at Ezekiel 28, 13 and Isaiah 14, verse 12, it tells us that Satan was created with instruments in him, like in his body, which is the typical reason he is thought to have been in charge of worship. Um, in Ezekiel 28, 13, it says that timbrels 
were created in him and pipes were created in him. Isaiah 14, 12 talks about his strings. And so we can see that he was created to boast. And it seems that Satan was created to make music. But something else that we see is that he had access to the very presence of God. Ezekiel 28, 14 and 16 both talk about how he was on the, high, uh, on the holy mountain of God, that he walked in the midst of the fiery stones, which is a reference to the presence of God, and that he was the anointed cherub who covers. Now this is an important detail because Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I want you to notice the first word that Paul uses to describe what we fight against. He says rulers, but against the rulers. Some translations say principalities. The Greek word, the original word, is the word ark, A-R-C-H-E. That word means beginning, origins, uh, the first person or thing in a series. Kind of like this sermon tonight, it's the, it would be the ark sermon, the first sermon in this series. Uh, it can mean first in charge. My favorite definition is top ruler because that's really what it means in context here. I believe Satan was originally one of three top ruling archangels. In scripture you see Gabriel, which means God is my strength. El is the, is the Hebrew word for God. Uh, Gabriel, God is my strength. Michael, Mike El, who is like God. And then Halel, which is to boast of God. And remember, we read in Revelations 12, 9 that Satan was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now it says in Revelations 12, 4, just a few scriptures before, a few verses before, that the dragon's tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And most theologians believe that the stars um, is talking about angels. So could it be that each of the three archangels was in charge of one-third of the angels in heaven. And that Satan, Halel, schemed and manipulated and deceived the angels under him. Now, you, you think about that and you think, well, how do you, how do you deceive an angel? How do you deceive this being that has experienced heaven firsthand, that has literally seen God? But remember what we read in Ezekiel 28, verse 12. It says that, that he had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. That word for wisdom, he says full of wisdom, that word for wisdom literally means skilled in war, wise in administration. Wisdom means skilled in war, wise in administration. In other words, the enemy of God is a tactical genius. That's something we have to keep in mind, that the enemy of God, the ones that we have to stand firm against his schemes, that enemy is a tactical genius. That's why Paul says, wake up to the war. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, I could go on and on about Ezekiel 28, but let me show you one more thing. Verse 13 says that every precious stone was your covering. Now, this is a big one as it relates to the rest of this message. In fact, we can go ahead and move on to why is he ticked. That word covering just means covering. It says that these stones were a part of him, that they were put in him when he was created and that they covered him. 
And we don't know if there were literally nine big stones on his body or if there were just a lot of these nine stones all over his body. But what we do know is that these stones would have made him perfect in beauty and that these stones would have made Satan's body literally reflect God's light. Jewish rabbis used to call God's light, his holy fire, uh, the Shekinah glory of God. You may have heard that word Shekinah before. That's what that is, God's radiant uh, light, his radiant beauty, his glory. Again, uh, Satan was created to bring attention to God. And we, we see that his name means to boast of God, that he had musical instruments created in him to make music to God. But here you can see that his, his body was literally created and with these precious stones, literally created to reflect God's glory. But let me show you why Satan is ticked. If you look at Ezekiel 28, verses 15 and 16, it says that you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So for a very, very, very long time, Satan was who he was created to be, and he did what he was created to do. But at some point, something changed. Verse 17 says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by, by reason of your splendor. Think about that. You, you corrupted your wisdom. We know that wisdom means that he was um, skilled in war. Um, you, but he corrupted that. It's not that he lost it, but he corrupted that because his heart was lifted up. He was prideful because of his beauty. Isaiah 14, 11 tells us that Satan's beauty made him prideful and that his once majestic music became nothing more than noise. And then verse 13, Isaiah 14, verse 13 tells us why. It says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the amount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, I want you to notice that he didn't say, I'll raise my throne above the most high or that I'll make myself greater than the most high. I mean, not, not even Satan is that delusional, right? <laughs> He says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Remember, the stars, um, a lot of theologians believe that stars is a reference to the angels. I will raise my throne above the uh, angels of God. Not above God. <laughs> I know I can't do that, but I will raise myself above everyone else. And then he says, I will make myself like the Most High. He knows he can't be greater than the Most High, but he will make himself like the Most High. In other words, he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be adored. He wanted everyone looking at him and his splendor and his glory. And look what it says that he did in verse 16. It says, by the abundance of your trade or by the abundance of your merchandising, you were internally filled with violence. Now, let me explain what that means. Let's say that I asked you to go and sell my Bible for me. And you go and you find someone who offers to pay you three bucks for this Bible. So you take the money, and then you come back to me and say, here you go, I sold your Bible, and then you hand me $2. Did you catch that? You sold the Bible for three, but you only gave me two. 
It makes me think of that time in the book of Acts when Ananias and Sapphira sold that plot of land and they told the apostles that they were giving them all the money they made off the land, but they didn't. They actually kept some back for themselves. And when you read the story, you see what Peter said to them. Satan has filled your heart. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? They were keeping some of that money back for themselves. And that's what Satan was doing in heaven with the worship. Satan was keeping some of the worship back for himself. Perhaps it was one-third of the worship, <laughs> one-third of the prophet. After all, Revelations 12, 4 says that the dragon's tail drew a third of the stars, a third of the angels fell down with him. So why is he ticked? Verse 16 says, Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now there are two very telling words in this verse. Profane and destroyed. Profane means to pierce. It means to wound. It means to lay open, to break. Uh, destroyed kind of means to break too, but it also really means to exterminate in this context. So bottom line, I believe that God took the beautiful Halel and laid him open and, and ripped those precious stones right out of him and replaced the precious stones with scales that the anointed cherub who covers became the great dragon who deceives. And he was fired. And he was kicked out. But here's the deal. He was replaced. And nothing can provoke anger and jealousy like being replaced. Now, when I say that he was replaced, I want you to remember what God said when he created Adam and Eve. He said, let us make man in our image. In other words, this creature called man. He's not God. But when you look at him, you see the greatness of God in him, especially in his heart and in his mind, in his character and in his quality. Man was the new reflector of God's glory. And Satan wasn't going to stand for it. By the way, Satan may have lost his looks. Okay, He may have went from being the anointed cherub who covers to being that ugly great dragon who deceives. He may have lost his looks, but he did not lose his mind. Satan is still a tactical genius. We know that because of how easily he deceived Adam and Eve into following his footsteps. Remember what he said? He said, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit. You will actually become like God. The very same thing that was in his own heart, he was able to deceive and manipulate and fill Adam and Eve's heart with the same thought the same suggestion. Then what do we call um, what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? Think about it. We call it the fall. Adam and Eve fell and had to leave the presence of God just like Satan did. Now for the sake of time, let's answer the question, what do I do? What is my role? The way we understand what we do, what our role is in this, is by going back to the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the sacrificial system, and looking what God did there to um, point ahead to Him sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to defeat sin, death, and the grave, and to make us victorious over the enemy's efforts to uh, deceive us. One of the things, the big things that we can see is that God had established a priesthood among the people of Israel. This priesthood served as the, the worship leaders, if you will, 
of the priesthood, there was the high priest who had the privilege of going into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for the people of Israel. In other words, to make things right between them and God. Now, there were all kinds of things that the high priest had to consider when he went in because it was a very meticulous process. In fact, if he got anything wrong, he could fall dead right there in the presence of God inside of the Holy of Holies. All kinds of things that he had to do right, things that he had to do, but also things he had to wear. One of the things that I want to bring attention to that he had to wear when he would go into the presence of God is something that they would call a breastplate. And on this breastplate was 12 precious stones. What's interesting is that nine of these stones are actually listed in the stones that were created into the original worship leader of heaven, Halel. Nine of the stones that we see in Ezekiel chapter 28 are literally in this breastplate that the high priest, this facilitator of worship, would have to wear inside of the Holy of Holies. I mean, come on, you can't make this stuff up. I read somewhere that they would call these stones, the stones upon this breastplate, the stones of fire <laughs> or the fiery stones. And the reason they would call it that is because when the high priest would go into the presence of God, the Shekinah glory coming off of that pillar of fire would literally reflect off of those stones. The glory of God would reflect off of the stones of this breastplate of the high priest, of the new facilitator of worship, the one who was now directing all of the worship to God. But here's the deal. That system has passed away. We know that because Jesus came and fulfilled all the things of the law. In other words, we don't have to have someone kill goats and bulls anymore and sprinkle them on a mercy seat. Jesus is the high priest who has gone in once and for all. He is also the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world to be forgiven. All of those things are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So if you were to look at this as a timeline, I want you to think of it this way. In heaven, Halel was created to worship God, to be the worship leader, if you will, to reflect his glory. And not that all the other angels didn't, not that Michael didn't, not that Gabriel didn't, and all the other angels, but he was specifically created to bring God glory, to reflect God's glory. Okay? But he was fired. <laughs> he sinned by the abundance of his trade. He became prideful. He thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And so he got fired. And so God hired Adam and Eve, if you will, <laughs> follow the analogy. But Adam and Eve also fell. Their flesh got the best of them. They were deceived. They were manipulated. God had a plan, though. He knew that he would send his son. In the meantime, he set up these things that would be types and shadows and point prophetically ahead to what Jesus would be. And so he set up the sacrificial system with the high priest, with the breastplate of stones and this, all that. But that went away, too, when Jesus came. So now, whose job is it? To reflect God's glory. If you look at 2 Corinthians 2.18, it says that we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. In other words, the spirit of God is helping us to be transformed more and more day to day to be more like Christ. We are to reflect his glory. But I love the way that Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.5. He says, you also, as living stones, 
are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I know who the enemy is now, and I understand why he is ticked, but what do I need to do? I need to live a life worthy of the calling that I have received in Christ Jesus. I need to reflect his glory. I need to be the living stone that I am now in Jesus Christ. I need to be what Peter says in in 1 Peter 5, 8. I need to be of sober spirit, to be on the alert because my adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. His main objective is to keep my worship away from God, to keep me from reflecting God's glory. He doesn't care anything about me, but he certainly does not want, want me worshiping my God. So I have to be of sober spirit. I have to be on the alert. I have to wake up to the war because I have a worthy adversary who is still a tactical genius. We can't afford to stay asleep. We have to wake up to the war because there is a roaring lion prowling around looking to devour us. He doesn't care about us. But he wants to keep us from reflecting God's glory. If he can keep us from reflecting God's glory, then he is happy. He doesn't care if we sin. He doesn't care about that stuff. He's not trying to to trick us into doing bad things. He just wants us to not worship God. And he knows he doesn't have our soul. He can't have our soul. But if he can keep us from reflecting God's glory, he will do it. And he will use what is good versus what is godly. So 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he can come in and make things that are good look better than those things that are godly. Sometimes we are choosing things that are not intrinsically evil, but they're things that are keeping us away from the things that will help us to wake up to the war, to understand the, the schemes of the devil, And we just get pulled into this lifestyle where we're no longer living stones. If anything, our lives might be a little more scaly. We've got to be careful. And that's the point of this teaching series is that we push forward and understand how do I wake up every day and engage this battle? Paul says that we need to wake up to this war, that we need to put on the full armor of God so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. His schemes are coming fast. His arrows are being shot on a daily day, a day-to-day basis, and they are fiery arrows. Are we putting on the full armor of God? Are we reflecting those things with the shield of faith? Are we wielding the, uh, the sword of the Spirit and taking up arms against the enemy? Or are we just letting him take us down? God wants us to wake up to the war, to put on the full armor of God, to be people who are reflecting his glory.